think about teaching life skills, philosophy, growth, just watching young people evolve, I mean, that, that fires me up. It's something that it will get me up early, drive me late at night to figure out how can I keep growing, evolving, keep working hard for those people in the same way that this company gave me an opportunity to be more than I ever thought I could be. I really believe that Vector can be truly life-changing for the reps we're gonna work with and the PID Pride. I'm excited to get back to doing what I've always done here in the West, and that's lead the way and bring everyone up with me. The tide is rising. The voice you just heard is the inspiring young leader, Anthony Hayes Jr. Anthony started selling Cutco in 2015 and has been a top performer in personal sales, as a branch manager, and as a district manager, earning his opportunity to lead the Pacific Islands division starting in 2023. He's now the youngest leader of any division in the Vector Marketing Sales Organization, and he's looking to raise standards throughout the Western region and the company in the years ahead. Anthony is one of the finest leaders I've ever had the good fortune of working with, and I know you will love getting to know him through this episode today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories, and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is near and dear to my heart as he is a key member of the Western Region Leadership Team, Mr. Anthony Hayes. Anthony has been with Cutco Vector since June of 2015. He started out in the Newport Beach area with Chris Gehring. And Anthony had a very successful personal sales career. He's a two-time college All-American. He ran a branch twice, two summers in a row, 2016, 2017, and was number four in the nation, one of those branches, number 13 for the other one. Anthony became a district manager in 2018 and has been one of the top performing managers in the Western region over the past few years. He has produced about $6 million in career sales. He has had some solid development with a number of branch managers and two of the current leading district managers in the Western region, Stuart Nato and Calista Cervantes. And Anthony also has some amazing leadership qualities, which I'm sure will come out during this conversation here today. He has been a right-hand person to J. Brad Britton in the Southland Division, helping to develop the division team over the last few years. And 
as of the beginning of 2023, Anthony has been promoted to run the Pacific Islands Division. That includes Hawaii and Guam and a few other places out there in the Pacific Ocean. And Anthony is staying in Newport Beach, running that from the mainland, which is an arrangement we've made in the past with several other leaders. We're excited for Anthony to be joining the division manager table in the Western region. And I'm fired up to have him here as a guest on the podcast today. Anthony Hayes, welcome. Thank you, Dan. It's it's an honor. It's a privilege to be here. Excited for this day. Excellent. Well, let's start out. uh, It's June. It's 2015. And uh, how'd you hear about Cutco and Vector? Yeah. Well, before I, I give you that story, I wanted to quickly share a little bit about, I think, what helped me become the kind of person to even want to sell Cutco in the first place. That goes back a little bit further. Actually starts in, uh, in sixth grade. So in sixth grade, I won my school's spelling bee, which is a big deal to me to this day. It, I mean, in that group of classmates that I competed against were like students at Princeton, Yale, Harvard to this day, like really smart kids. So winning that was a big deal. But the memory that I wanted to share is that at the district spelling bee, so this is all the top students from the, from like the Orange Unified District went out of spelling bee. That was the day I learned about public speaking. And what ended up happening is, you know, we had to, to do the spelling bee, but there was an actual audience and there was like a TV crew for a local news production or something. And I remember having to go up there and the practice were, there was two rounds of practice. The first was you give your name and I almost misspelled my name. And then I got, <laughs> I got up there and they're like, all right, your practice word, just kind of get the feel for it is square. And I just remember seeing all these people getting like, you know, these hot ears, couldn't hear anything. And I said, S. C, I mean Q, and they go, <laughs> you're, um, you're eliminated. And so I was the very first person eliminated from that spelling bee. <laughs> then went over to my parents, cried, and then proceeded to write down every single word asked at the spelling bee completely perfectly. I would have won third round in or something, but I just didn't know how to speak. And so that experience really kind of drove me throughout middle school and high school to get into positions where I had to put myself out there to actually speak in front of others and to you know give a presentation. Like I made it a goal almost subconsciously to give a presentation every single year to the entire student body or school. Like I did ASB. And if we fast forward that to my senior year of high school, actually, that's when I heard about Cutco. And so as a senior, I was an ASB. My role was the PTSA advisor. And so my goal or my job was once a month, I would go to the PTA meetings and give a report. So my job was to talk to all the moms. And so uh, <laughs> last week of school, we are at a field trip at like Magic Mountain or something. And we're talking about summer jobs. I just got a job making sandwiches. I was supposed to start the next week after for training. And I was talking to a friend and she goes, yeah, like I got this job working with apps or something. Like I get paid 17 bucks an hour. And I was like, dude, I'm making $9. Like, tell me more about that. And she said, well, hey, I can't. It's just a thing for my uncle. Like, I only get the job because I'm his niece. But you should talk to Nick. I heard Nick is like selling knives or something. He makes 16 bucks an hour. So I was like, well, that's cool. And I like, how how do I learn more about it? So I text Nick uh, and I was like, hey, dude, what's this job? And he goes, hey, yeah, like we sell knives. I can tell my manager, we're like always looking to hire people for some reason. So like, let me see what I can do. Now, Dan, I don't know if you've ever seen these stores, but at most malls I go to, 
there's like a sword shop or like there's some like random display of swords and like pocket knives and stuff. You ever seen one of those? Yes. So <laughs> Nick and I live down the street from each other and we live next to a mall where they had a sword shop. In my head, I thought Nick worked at that sword shop and he was just standing around talking to weirdos that wanted to talk about knives. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I can do that for a summer. <laughs> Easy money. Well, Nick said he'll give my give his manager uh, my number. Like three hours later, someone calls me. I'm at home and they say, Hey, we have an interview. It's in two hours. Can you come to the office? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not doing anything. So I drive to Newport Beach uh, to, you know, borrow, borrow my, my dad's car, drive to this office, and it's like neon green on the inside. Scariest thing I've ever, I've ever seen. And like a couple of girls that graduated the year before me walk in and I was like, oh, okay, well, I know them. So maybe we all work at the same store. And, you know, I, I go into the pre-interview, I go into the main and they're basically said, yeah, we go to people's houses and we sell knives to soccer moms. And I was like, oh, so this is not working at a store. This is completely different. And so I'm, you know, sitting in the interview, like, this is really confusing. I don't know what's happening. But this is after we did interviews in person. The manager had me cut the leather. And I remember cutting the leather and it just like snapped, flipped for me. And I said, this stuff's pretty good. I was like, I don't know how or or how it's going to work, but like, I got to find a way to sell this to Obama. That was a legit thought in my head. (laughs) Uh, And so I was like, all right, well, I'm in, let's figure it out. So I get called out first. I, you know, I get assigned for training. Training's going to be the next week. I actually graduated high school the day after my interview. So the very next day I graduate a week later, I, I come to training. I actually started training at the sandwich shop the same day I started with Cutco. So I was actually an hour and a half late to training. I smelled like bread. I had fake glasses on because I was hoping that they'd think I was smart if I wore them. And then the first thing I did was walk in and break a chair. <laughs> so it's it's Chris and I talk about it to this day. Like it's an absolute blessing that I made it through training even because he was ready to kick me out like five minutes into me being there. But that's kind of the uh, the story of how I got started and uh, my you know origin story selling knives. <laughs> uh, I love the uh, the beginnings there. Anthony. And I remember the neon green office. I've been there and that's what you get when you have a Seattle Seahawks fan in charge. You know, they, uh, they somehow yep. think that's a cool thing. So tell us about some of the initial experiences you had uh, on the job. What stands out? Yeah. So maybe it didn't click for me until I was actually in training, but we had to, we went to people's homes back then. Like we went to do demos in homes. And so there's two problems with that. One, I didn't have a car. So I borrowed my parents' car for like training days and my interview, but there was no way I could use it every single day. And so I actually had to borrow my friend's mom's bike. It was this baby blue beach cruiser to do my demos for my first like five or six months. And the second thing is we had to go inside people's homes. And I mean, it wasn't really a problem ever in my career, but I will say it was kind of scary knowing that I had to go into like all of these Newport Beach and Corona Del Mar homes. And I know I don't sound it per se, but like, I think when they heard me on the phone and then like this young African-American kid showed up at their door, they're like, oh, that's a little different. He has knives. Okay. And so my mind definitely played little games with me when I started about how is that going to, to go? Like, do I need to like tell them? Like, is that going to be a problem? I have no idea. Turns out it was all in my head, but Definitely, you know, it kind of clicked for me while I was in training that I probably need to think about some of these things just in case. Yeah. And you know what, Anthony, you say it was all in your head, but I'm sure there was a couple of ladies that like had a, a surprise, I guess you could say. 
You can um, see it sometimes. In seeing you and and not that that, I mean, obviously that's not good, but it's a reality, right? Of the path that you have faced in succeeding in anything that you do, right? And uh, I think that uh, you're, in many ways, you have been a leader for our Western region through your results and through your influence and your messages and the ways you help people as well. But just your personal example is a leader for all the young African-American kids that are coming up in Vector or anywhere else that meet you, that see you. So I think that's a, a very cool part of your story. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I don't think about it all the time, but I mean, it's definitely, it is a real pleasure, you know, when you're at a conference and you can kind of see that there's that moment sometimes when someone from one of our LA offices or something that, you know, is a young black kid and coming up to me and is like, what are you again? I'm like, oh, I'm the district manager. And they see me winning a trophy. And you can just tell there's that connection. We have that conversation. And I mean, I can remember one of uh, Kuval's reps, actually, a couple, you know, this is a few years back, just asking me, he goes, what has your path moving up been? And I, I could just tell him sincerely, like, hey, you know, no one cared what I looked like or where I was from here. They cared about what the results I, I put up were. And that allowed me to move up pretty quickly. And it's been a really great environment to work in. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for saying that. You had a great personal sales background during these first couple of years. Uh, I mentioned at the outset, you're an All-American two times. Tell us a little bit about some of your keys to your personal sales success. Yeah. I mean, when I just think about that first summer, it was just all about hustle. It was all about hard work. I mean, <laughs> I really had no idea what I was doing, but I mean, I think some of the things that stand out, I, I mean, I remember riding that bike to do all those demos. I can remember having conversations with Patty Cruz, right? We're like, we're on PDI. And I'm just asking her, I'm like, are you sure this is worth it? Like, you promised me this is going to pay off one day. Cause like it was 92 degrees outside. I'm riding uphill on this beach cruise. There's no gears, you know, the backpack full of knives. And so I can remember that for, you know, weeks on end, push periods doing six, seven demos in a day, just like riding all around town. So I, you know, I can remember that. I can remember just how important it was for me when I was new to have someone like Patty Cruz have that leader in my organization that I can look up to. One of the stories I often tell to my new assistant managers and to new trainees is, you know, I can remember staying up from like 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. my first full day on the job and just like pestering Patty with questions because she was an All-American before. Like she had sold a lot of Cutco. And yeah, I just remember how appreciative I was that she took the time to really teach me the ropes about things. And so, I mean, that summer was all about working hard. It was about finding someone to emulate. And that's really what I did. It was just like, okay, whatever Patty does, like I want to work as hard as she does because clearly she's figured something out that I don't know. And so if I can just do what she's doing, I can't help but assume I'm going to get similar results. So that's really what 2015 was all about. And that first summer, kind of that first almost two years, it wasn't until 2017 where I really turned this corner and I started understanding like the business aspect of the actual job. And the idea that the consistency and the high-level results became a numbers game. And, and it was in 2017 that I really committed to this idea that it didn't matter how much work it took. It mattered that I did this amount of demos and you know I, I did this many phone calls and that the results were going to vary naturally, but I couldn't let my emotions dictate what I did after that, right? It was, we need to do six appointments this week. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to book six, make as many calls as we need to, to make that happen. And sometimes I do six appointments and sell $600. And sometimes it turned into $3,600. But it was just about understanding that natural flow of the business, that the results would change, but the work had to stay the same. And 
And that was really kind of the two biggest things I remember about selling Cutco in school was it was all about working hard and then learning the numbers game about it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure running a couple branches helped you really develop the sort of business aspect side of it. What can you tell us about those two branch summers you had? Yeah, branches to this day, the best experiences of my life. Like I, I loved running a branch office uh, each time. The first branch of 2016, I mean, it was great. You know, we were a top 20 office, first time ever running an office. It was so eye opening, though. I think one of the things that I would say you probably told me first, but this idea that Vector exposes you and like truly being a branch at 19 years old did just that. I kind of just assumed that because I was a good rep, I'd be a pretty good manager. And I was wrong. Like I learned really quickly. I was I was selfish as a manager. I didn't have any programs and and just working hard will take you pretty far, but it only took me as far as like I could go myself. And so while we had some results going into 2017, it taught me exactly what I needed to work on. Right. Number one, I needed to have systems. I needed to know like how to recruit more people. I needed to have a plan to actually do that. And so that was really big. And then the second thing was. I learned to just lock arms with people. People often will tell me that I have this kind of natural gravity and I'm able to bring people to my side, but I didn't understand how to actually leverage and use that in 2016. And so what I learned to do was to start partnering with key members in my organization, but more importantly, with the people that I was bringing on to the team. The number one way for us to hit any goal in 2017 was just to lead people to their goals. And it it showed, right? We had I mean, my first ever assistant manager actually that summer and Chase Chapman. And then we ended up finishing that summer with five new staff members, which led me to opening up the next year as a DM with five assistant managers on staff, which was amazing. It was like this so much more fun, rewarding, and fulfilling experience running this summer sprint, but doing it with people around you that wanted to do it with you was, I mean, complete like night and day difference almost. So that's always the number one tip I give branches when they ask me, hey, what changed? I just said, I started caring about the people and not so much about the numbers and the profit per se and what it did for me. And when I learned to just help them, man, things changed quickly. Yeah, I I can still remember, Anthony, my branch summers very, very well. And I, like you, ran two branches. And in the first one, being a first-year branch has always been a a kind of an uphill battle competitively because there's so many other more experienced people or second year branches or whatever that are out there. There's always somebody that goes out and does like the huge, huge performance. And so I remember being one of the lesser experienced, newer branch managers in the region. And, you know, I wasn't really thought of as being one of the the people that was going to compete. And it, it wasn't necessarily a goal of mine, but my goal was to help the people that I had come in, right? My goal was to develop some great people that I would take with me to the conference at the end of the summer. And that's exactly what happened. I had these four key reps that were my core that I can still remember every single one of them to this day by name. And, you know, at the end of the summer, they were what I created out of that summer. We didn't win many trophies. We didn't finish in the national top 20, but I created these four humans who did really well, who were a part, uh, at least two of those four were a key part of my core the following summer as I opened up my second branch and strived to win the silver cup, which we ended up doing, you know, in the second branch. 
So this whole idea of just when you're new, right? We're a people business, building people, building individuals, right? Helping individuals succeed, creating partners, as you said, a staff, right? That's all of what it was all about in those early days. And that was so much more important than whatever numbers we hit or, you know, whatever goals we hit or whoever we beat or didn't beat along the way was what did we come out at the end of the summer with in terms of building people. So it's pretty cool that, uh, that you learned that as well there, particularly in that second summer as a branch. Yeah. I'll say just when I think back to 2017, especially, I mean, there are four or five people I can think of right now that I could pick up my phone and text and, you know, we could pick up like nothing ever happened. And it's just great to see them. I mean, now some of them have graduated from their master's programs. They have their real world jobs beyond that summer experience, but like that connection, that relationship we have, you know, some of them still call me coach Hayes. And it's so funny because, you know, I was, I mean, I was a 20 year old kid, just out there in Santa Monica, running around trying to hand out flyers and see who wanted to work with us. And so it's it's really cool, the relationships that have gone much farther than any of the numbers or or results were. Yeah, cool. So I know that uh, the following summer, 2018, uh, you were originally slated to branch for a third time, but along the way, you decided district manager was going to be the path. What made you choose to be a district manager, Anthony? Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, I think the biggest thing was just I felt I had more to give. When I when I came back to to Newport that fall in 2017, it was I mean it was cool. Like they 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 looked at me like I was just like a demigod, right? Like that's Anthony, the branch two time, all this stuff. And so that fall, I won another All American, and I was just really focused while I was in Chris's office on hey, how do I help all of the assistant managers in the office right now become branch managers themselves, right? How do I help all the people that just came out of a great summer in Newport? go to that next step like I did, right? Through my example, my leadership, whatever. But there was this team meeting at the beginning of 2018 where I'm just sitting there and I'm in the back, I'm taking notes, right? I was always a big believer that even if I wasn't learning something new, like I had to be at those meetings to help be an example and to you know show for others. But I just felt like, I mean, honestly, I felt like I could be running that team meeting. I felt like the things that were happening in the office, I was like, I know how to do these things. I could be doing this. And it just kind of clicked for me that I wasn't serving anyone doing what I was doing at the time, right? Like, yes, I was helping those system managers. Yes, I was helping people get Cutco by selling Cutco. But I just really felt like I had more to give and there was more to my potential at the time that required me to be a district manager. And I mean, it was definitely a big, scary jump. I was still in school at the time, but I just knew like there was this, I don't know, just this calling that said, you got a DM this summer. Like, there's no more waiting. It's time to go out there and, and really just dive in. That's what we did. Yeah, I, I think district manager can really be a calling for a lot of people. Everywhere in Vector, there are territories that are available that need somebody to go in there and build something great. And there are young people living there who are looking for and needing a mentor someone to guide them, someone to teach them the things they aren't learning at school. And that's what our district managers do. And, uh, you know, to, to feel that calling that, Hey, you know what, I can be the leader in XYZ territory and I can be the person that develops the youth of that area into greatness. I think that's a great calling that I I hope a lot of people feel. And it was cool that you were feeling that at that time. And uh, you went back to Santa Monica to begin your district manager days there. 
And then ultimately, the path led you back to Newport Beach. Chris Gehring moved from Newport up to Seattle to take over the Washington division. And you had a chance to get back into Newport Beach, which is where you are now. So this is pretty cool uh, that you felt that calling, Anthony, and that you took it there in 2018. And it's been a great five years since then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of full circle. And I mean, I, I can look back now and say, I'm really happy, obviously, that I went DM in 2018, led me to be at a, at a good spot and a good time and you know, led to where we're at now. Yeah. And you've been able to advance pretty quickly. As I mentioned, you've been a key player throughout the Southland division and now recently promoted to run the Pacific Islands division. Do we think you're the youngest division manager in the company? Is that? I am. I am correct. Yeah. Have you been fishing around to figure out who, who else? I, I, I might have asked for a report and uh, yeah. Definitely the, uh, the youngest <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's cool. And we always talk about, people always ask, what does it take to become a division manager, right? I mean, I've been asked that question more times than I can count. Many district managers are looking to have that opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity to be able to run your own sales division in our company. Even a smaller one, such as PID, you're going to have an exciting opportunity to lead that team out there. And really, there are three elements that it takes to advance to become a division manager in Vector. One of those is just sales performance, particularly you know new business. And over the last five years, you've been one of the top performers overall in new business during those years in the Western region. Uh, you're about $6 million in career sales, which is pretty solid. It also takes development, particularly creating branch and district managers, because the primary role of a division manager is to develop the branch and district manager team. You've had multiple branch managers that have gone out and succeeded, several of whom are key players in the business today. And you have created three district managers, two of whom are key district managers in the Western region right now, Stuart Nato and Calista Cervantes. And the third thing it takes to become a division manager is this sort of intangible factor. We might call it personal leadership. You could probably use other words to describe it, but it's this factor that people look to you as a leader, look to you as a role model, look to you as somebody they want to emulate someone who has high integrity, someone who truly cares about others, someone who loves and is committed to the business, right? You've exhibited all of these traits. And so you rose to the top of the hierarchy of district managers in the Western region, among some other really great quality individuals we have out here, by the way. Shout out to the others that are in the same category as future candidates, but giving you the opportunity to run Pacific Islands was a pretty easy decision for me and definitely looking forward to what you're going to bring to the table in that way. So there's these three elements, Anthony, the sales leadership, the development, and the sort of intangible. I'd love for you just to speak to how you feel you've brought these to the table over the past five years. Yeah. Well, I also appreciate what you said there. Breaking them down, I mean, one at a time, as far as sales leadership goes, uh, I mean, the biggest thing I'll say is I think there's food left on the table there. Like you mentioned, we've definitely done well since I started running offices. 
two top 20 branches, three straight years, we were a top 10 district office in our competitive category. Definitely a leader regionally here, but I, I do feel like there's a bit left to be desired still. And that's something I'm really excited to keep bringing as a pilot and to really re-energize, I think, the division manager team here with our pilot new business, because just put it out there, we're not going to compete very much in total business this year amongst the pilots. And so really feeling like, hey, how can we make a, a change immediately amongst the division managers? I really want to just keep pushing new business programs and continually get back to that, especially where I think we're at company-wide, right? Where there's a lot of questions and maybe not as many answers. Like, I think we really want to lead the way in that way. So that's something I'm still like very much so uh, something I want to keep working on and keep growing for myself and for my team, for our people. Uh, As far as development goes, I mean, that really became a focal point of the business for me in 2020. I knew moving back to Newport in 2020 that I I needed to build and I needed to build quick. I can remember Jeremy Bell telling me when I opened up, uh, like this is probably SOC 2018, but we had this whole conversation about the worst way, like the loneliest way to run a district is alone. And it makes it a completely different organization when you're in a fall campaign with three to five fired up people that are looking to build and, and, and develop into their own management careers the next year versus when you're doing it alone. And so in 2020, I really, when I came back to Newport, I focused on creating systems and keys to moving people into a funnel quickly that allowed me to get them onto our leadership team. I mean, I, I love selling Cutco, right? Don't get me wrong. But when I think about teaching life skills, philosophy, growth, just watching young people evolve. I mean, that that fires me up. That really gets me going like nothing else. It, it's something that it will keep me up early or you know get me up early, drive me late at night to figure out how can I keep growing, evolving, keep working hard for those people. And when that translates to business growth, I mean, you just can't beat it. And I think it's allowed us to develop some great young leaders in our office and you know in the organization and influence others divisionally and regionally. I mean, when I just think about the growth in someone like Calissa Cervantes, who, who I met in 2017, kind of ran her interview. There's this long story behind that. But you know, I remember meeting Calissa in 2017 and seeing where she's at now as this you know, up-and-coming pillar, as a strong young leader within our company. Like It's just it's game-changing. It's something that you look at that and you're just like, okay, who's next? Who can I do that for next? And that's really just been one of the biggest things for me since 2020 is how can we keep serving people? How can we keep providing for the young professionals in this area? And then when it comes to intangibles, I mean, I, I guess I just feel like I'm kind of lucky. I'm the eldest of four siblings. And so I've just kind of always had this big brother energy and kind of attitude as a person. And it's something that I, I really I idolize in others. And so when I see that, I see that leadership, I'm really always looking to figure out what can I gain from other leaders and how can I add that to myself? And so I mean, I, I think I'm really fortunate. I grew up grew up around some really great people here in the West. I got to start with the premier DM in the region at the time, and Chris Gehring. I've grown up in the business with the most veteran DVM in the company, and, and Jay Brad Britton. Uh, I got to watch people like Evan really own the podium and come into his own as a division manager. I mean, I've gotten the chance to study teachings uh, and habits of legends in our business, like Drew Frank, Ryan Herman, Jeff Gamboa. Since I was a brand new rep, like I just. I've always wanted to study and I've had this desire to move closer every year to being like the greats. And I think I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants and the examples that they've left me in many ways. Yeah. Anthony, your desire for growth, your effort to consistently improve and bring more to the table is certainly one of the things that has distinguished you from many others on our team. And I really respect that about you. It's very evident 
that you're always striving to get better. You're not resting on your laurels. That's a, a critical piece, I think, of the intangible factor that has helped you to advance. You mentioned that you feel like you, you know there's some food on the table with new business. It's true that we've all, as a company, struggled with new business over the last two years, 2021 and 2022. None of us have achieved our goals. I know you haven't, and neither have we as a region achieved our goals in that area over the last couple of years. When you take the whole picture of your career, though, including the three years previous to that in new business, plus your two branches, you've been a top performer, as I've said. And so it's clear that that's very likely to be what you recapture here. And I'm fired up to hear you say you want to recapture that side and compete in that area with our division manager team and the pilots, right? I know, you know, pilot total business, a lot of that is based on like legacy CSP business, which you don't have. But pilot new business, shoot, you could beat all of them in the Western region in uh, 2023 and beyond. And that would be fantastic, man. That would be uh, what I expect to see and what I'd like to see. So it's great to hear that that's what you're thinking. I want to get a little more into this development side because I feel like it's a, it's such a great strength of yours is this quality you described earlier as being like magnetic. I think that might be the word you used. You said something about you've been magnetic with people. And I think that's a, a great word, whether that was the one you picked earlier or not. That's a great word to describe you. I do think that the young people that come into your organization will gravitate to you and want to be around you. The Brad Ramoses and the Mark Pfeiffers and Talista and many others who you've developed, there is this magnetic quality to you that I think attracts people to you and gives you that opportunity to then have greater influence and have more impact on people. Where do you think that comes from? in your life, Anthony? And, and how do you feel you, you leverage that to latch on to and develop people? That's a great question. I can't say I really know exactly. I have to give credit probably to my parents. I think it's just something that I, I've kind of just had naturally, but I, I grew up playing a lot of sports, right? So I've, I've always been so keen to this idea of like family environment. And like I said, I think having younger siblings, I get, I've just always wanted to hold the people close to me and bring them in tight and, you know, have that kind of protector and big brother energy for people. But I think just when I think about myself growing up naturally, that's just something that I think has just been important for me. Like when there's someone close to me, I want to make sure I give them the most that I can just as a person. Uh, I'm a really big believer just in this idea that like people are always watching and so it's like, how can I continually be better for those around me? Because it's just, it's my responsibility. It's my duty as a person, as a leader, as a young man to, to do that for others. That's just maybe my mentality. I can't say I know exactly where I've gotten it. I think I've had some really great people to emulate it from within my life. Like, you know, my dad, like, you know, Chris and Jay Brad, but it's just something that true to me as a person, like that is a core value. That is a core belief for me. Just this idea that like, leadership is, is everything. And it's just some, it's something I've always kind of gravitated towards naturally. Like, hey, how can I put myself in a position to be able to lead others by really leading myself? Yeah, it's cool to hear. The idea that people are always watching, that's, that definitely comes from you being the oldest sibling, because I'll tell you what, those three younger ones, I'm sure have always been watching you and will continue 100%. to, even from afar. And then just the desire to 
bring people in and to show that genuine care. You know, you've heard me frequently use the expression a gas, right? And what makes a great leader, right? Actually give a shit. (laughs) It's kind of a funny expression and you think it'd be obvious, but it's just not. I do think that the majority of leaders out there have self-interest pretty high up the list of objectives. There's a reason for that. We're in business for profit, right? We're trying to make a lifestyle for ourselves and it should be a part of what we're trying to do. But uh, Jim Rohn used to call it enlightened self-interest. And the enlightened self-interest is one that understands that it's by helping others rise, right? That we are able to also rise and making that the priority, right? Really investing in people, really like caring to the point where like it hurts when you lose someone in the business, a key player. It should hurt, you know, even though it's a reality of a business like ours where we're developing young people and most of them do move on to other things. You put so much into people that you really want to see them stick around you and that many will when you take that approach and you create that environment that you've created. So I think that's a key key part of success that I've seen from you that is a is a great strength of yours that uh, I hope continues to come out and manifest as you move forward here into your division manager days. You know, if I can add one thing, actually just kind of hit me now, but I say growing up, you know, I'm half Filipino and I think one of the big things in like Filipino culture is this idea that you know, growing up we didn't have a lot of money, but if I brought a friend over it was like, we're doing everything we can to make sure that person feels warm, welcomed, right? That we're feeding them until they, they you know, they, they can't move. <laughs> I think I've kind of taken that and made like a life philosophy, right? This idea, like people know if they come over to my house, one, I will feed them everything and all things for sure. But also just this idea that like, if someone's in my family, in my house, right? Whether that's my division, my office, whatever, like I want to do everything I can to make sure they feel welcome. They feel a part of what we're building, what we're creating. And they feel at home. And I, and I think that's just something that when I th- really think about it has crept into who I am. And, and no matter what I have, it's like, how can I give as much of it as possible to that person here next to me? Yeah, excellent. Great philosophy. You mentioned Chris and Jay Brad, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about them because you've really had a chance to work closely with two of the prominent leaders in the Western region. Chris Gehring was your original district manager, now leading the Washington division. And Jay Brad Britton has been your division manager since you started. And he, of course, is an all-time company legend. What are some of the most important strengths do you feel you've seen in Chris and Jay Brad? Yeah, I tell people to this day, I was really lucky to start off with both of those two leaders. It's not every day you get two leaders that have such almost like polarizingly different strengths and uh, and areas of the business where they really excel. But I mean, when I think about Chris, Chris is like the perfect general. If I wanted to pick someone to rally my troops to stand in front of my army and get them prepared for battle, I mean, that's Chris Gehring. You know, he taught me how to rally the troops. He taught me how to share vision, create buy-in with my organization. He taught me how to bring intensity to the business and how to show up for even the smallest things. We still joke to this day about times where he'd come to the office and you know, he'd come in and start moving pictures around and organizing papers. He goes, every little thing matters. And that really stuck with me. Obviously, he taught me how to dress and, and hold myself like a professional and really challenged me to shoot for the stars, regardless of who was around me. You know, one of the things that I, I really appreciate is Chris and I grew up in two very different types of 
environments in the Western region. And one of the things that to this day I'm so thankful for is he never compared me or, or had me compete with the person next to me because he knew that there was more available for me to shoot for, more in the tank. And so it was always the vision of who I could be or where I could place amongst the greats within our region and an all-time Western region. Uh, and he always held me to that higher standard. And, and I mean, I think I was really able to resonate with that. And it's really helped me be in very big ways, obviously, throughout my career. When I think about, you know, Jay Brad, I think about Brad, he's like the perfect president. Like this is the guy I want leading my people. He's a diplomat through and through. I mean, he taught me to be a leader among leaders. He's the most caring, most selfless people first servant, I think, in our business. And so much of the philosophy and view of the business that I have has been shaped by Jay Brad in many ways. You know, he taught me among many things how to do right by people. And I'm thankful for that in a big way. And, you know, we don't always see eye to eye, him and I, but I'm really grateful in understanding that he's never, ever made a decision with malicious intent. He's always doing what he thinks is the best move for all parties. And sometimes that means it's not maybe the best thing for him, but it might be best for me or for another manager in our division. And so, I mean, that, that's been really cool. You know, he taught me how to be a DVM long before that. You know, we, we'd go over stats and learning how to handle conflicts. And, you know, he would just fill me in on things that probably had nothing to do with me, but he knew might be valuable down the road. And so, you know, when I think about those two gentlemen, I think the secret you could say to my quick advancement is I really got the chance to do the job I have now or I've had before I was ever given that job, right? Chris really allowed me to be a district manager while I was a rep in his office. When I was trained to be a branch, he basically said, here are the keys, don't blow everything up, right? So I got a chance to run the show top to bottom. And Brad really allowed me to kind of be a DVM while I was a district manager in the Southland division, right? Not to just influence my team, but to work with the entire division, to have this podium, this influence, this pedestal to be able to lead everyone from. And while at the time, yeah, I probably wasn't too enthused with either of them and about the extra workload, you know, in the long run, I can definitely look back and, and realize the blessing that it's been for me and in, in my development here within the company. Yeah, I, I love the idea of doing the job before you have it, Anthony. And that is a great, great summary as to what has helped you to advance to the position you're in now in leading the PID is you've done a lot of stuff, oftentimes unpaid and underrecognized in the Southland division throughout the region, even, and even getting your fingers into the pie with some of the Hawaiian guys right over the last couple of years. And I know there's been some cross training that's happened where they visited you and you've spent time with them. And like, there's been a lot of stuff you've done before you had the official role or title. And that's pretty powerful. I love the president for Brad and the general for Chris. When I, I just think about Brad and like the, the interior qualities and the the man that he is, the integrity that he has, the, the fact that you know, as you said, when he makes decisions, he's making decisions with a lot of things in mind and trying to really create a greater good. And there's a lot of value in just what he brings in that way. And then you combine that internal quality with the way Chris inspires and motivates and drives and projects standards and vision, right? When you put those two things together, it's a pretty great formula. And you've had a chance to work closely with both of those guys. And so I'm fired up to see how you're going to bring all this stuff to the Pacific Islands division. And in fact, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where I want to end this here is just 
for you to share a little bit about what you're excited about for the future of the PID, for the future of your Newport Beach team, and anything uh, on a personal level as well. Share with us a little bit about your vision for the future, Anthony. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at the end, the tide is rising. Yeah, I'm excited to get back to doing what I've always done here in the West, and that's lead the way and bring everyone up with me. I mean, I'm fired up to work with the newly named Pride of the Pacific. I mean, I just think there's so much opportunity available in the PID just waiting to be unleashed. There's tremendous young leaders already. There's a phenomenal culture, and they're just good people. And so, I mean, we're going to build the PID to a seven-figure division this year through an emphasis on recruiting programs for the managers, a focus on development of TLA candidates and events team candidates. And we're going to create a top-tier PPR division in vector marketing. But you know, more importantly, I mean, we're just excited to impact lives in Hawaii and Guam. I mean, I think the environment and culture there is made for Cutco development in, in the same way that this company gave me an opportunity to be more than I ever thought I could be. I really believe that Vector can be truly life-changing for the reps we're going to work with and the PID pride. So I'm fired up about it. We just had our first ever conference all together. And just the glimpse of how the culture is now is awesome, but how it's going to be, I can't even imagine like next KOC. It's going to be great. It's going to be a really fun time. And then as for just the Newport pilot office, like I mentioned, we're excited to lead charge, really lead the charge in the region, be the spark plug, the change, raise the tides and shake the boats a little bit. I think the last two years have been, like you said, difficult across the company. So we're excited to really be the organization that creates a ripple effect across the region. But more importantly, we're excited to bring the energy and fun back to the business, you know, get back in front of people, share the opportunity, build an organization with young professionals and equip them with a set of skills, mentalities, and experiences to help them long-term in our business or any ventures they move to after us, right? Uh, Jay Brad just said this the other day, leaders create change and we're looking to make some change. We're looking to raise the tides and all the ships with it. Fantastic. I love it, Anthony. Just love uh, hearing your vision, hearing your excitement. I'm really grateful to have you as part of our leadership team. I, I am looking forward to all the great times ahead. When I think about Hawaii competing, I think about this idea, Anthony, which is the sales per population, right? Like we should measure that a little bit and see how could you guys do on sales per population? Because uh, I think that you could get to dollar for dollar on that one. And you know, for divisions that have 7 million people in it, that means getting to 7 million, right? So for Hawaii with 1.3 million or whatever Hawaii has out there, you could probably get to $2 million in sales in a 1.3 million population territory. And that would be amazing, right? It really would. So I look forward to a lot of great things from you, Anthony. And uh, just, as I said, grateful to have you part of the team and glad we could feature you here on Changing Lives, Selling Knives. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Dan. That was Anthony Hayes, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. I had forgotten that Anthony rode a bike in the early days to his appointments up and down hills in the Newport Beach area, working hard, hustling, getting it done. $172,000 in career personal sales, by the way, most of which happened in those first couple of years as he was a student rep, assistant manager, branch manager. The influence of Chris Gehring and Brad Britton in his life has been transformative. We are all so lucky to have amazing leaders in our vector marketing organization who can provide us with a path 
to success. And it was neat to know that they had, Chris and Brad had divergent skills that Anthony was able to observe from them. Anthony mentioned in branching the idea, he said he heard from me that Vector exposes you. It, it really reveals your skills and it reveals your areas of opportunity, particularly branching does this. Selling does this too, but branching more than anything really reveals all the things about you that are great and all the things about you that you can work on if you want to become the kind of leader and successful business person that you might want to be down the road. And that's why branching is such a great opportunity for so many people. Of course, uh, in becoming a district manager, Anthony felt a calling to provide a higher level of service to others. That's one of the great things that we do as managers in our business. Annie is advanced from district to division manager because of producing some good volume, creating some good development, and having those intangible leadership qualities that we talked about during this conversation. Doing the job before you have it was a great thing that Anthony talked about. That is also something I've noticed about him over these last few years as he has really thrust himself to the top of the division manager candidate pool in the Western region by doing a lot of work behind the scenes that was oftentimes, as I said, under-recognized or even unpaid, but that he did because he was growing himself and he wanted to give back and he wanted to grow others around him in the Southland division as well. Great to know that the tide is rising for the Pacific Islands division and for the Newport Beach pilot in terms of leadership within the Western region. I know that it's going to be an exciting ride ahead. It's going to be fun to watch. A lot of great things are going to come from Anthony Hayes here in the years ahead. Hope you enjoyed getting to know him and his story here today. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 